I was choking on something, and I gagged too. There were tubes in my nose, in my throat, sensors beeping all around me. I had no idea where I was, and I couldn't move anything on my body. But my eyes worked, and I could see my father in the corner of the room, bags under his eyes, hadn't shaved. You could tell he'd been under duress. The first words out of my mouth, how did I do in the game? After a long pause, my father spoke through tired eyes. Son, you didn't play. You broke your neck. That's when I realized I had died. That's when I realized my dreams were shattered. But that's how I came alive to my deep need for purpose. Well, my name is Micah McKelvin, and I have the privilege of serving alongside over 630 team members who right now are advancing the gospel and serving the poorest on planet earth through Vapor Ministries. And I just want to start by saying, uh, start by saying on behalf of our global teams, my family, that we are incredibly glad to be here today. And, and, and I am so thankful, we're all so thankful for our partnership with Radiate. Hey, y'all glad to be in church today? I know energy was high in worship, all right? So if that's you, just, just turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to see you at Radiate Church. All right, now, uh, Florence campus, online campus, uh, anybody watching from home, I can't see you on the other side of the screen, but... Here in the room, most people had two choices. And for some reason, you chose one neighbor over the other. So, so now you got to turn to your second choice, and you got to say, they let anybody in at Radiate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my family and my first time here, and we are so honored. Uh, but with it being our first time, I haven't had the privilege of meeting most of you, and naturally I don't know you. And though that is the case, I still know we have at least two things in common. And the first is we share admiration, love for your pastors. Yes. I met Pastor Brandon and Megan actually in the middle of the mess COVID. None of us want to go back, right? And you guys were navigating building and navigating all the things that we're navigating. And even in the middle of that, they were thinking mission. They were thinking you. They were thinking Jesus. They were fighting for this house. I'm telling you all, you'll have real deal pastors. And so I just want to invite you. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. And I hope you're doing that all year long, right? But will you just join me in honoring your pastors? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God for your work through Brandon Megan, absolutely. So I, I figured we had that in common, and quite frankly, if we didn't, I was in trouble, right? I say, well, we gotta have a different message, right? So I knew, I knew they're lovable, so we both loved them. But, but I, I actually believe we share something else in common as well. I believe that you, like me, want to live a meaningful life. You see, we were wired by God to walk a purpose-filled path. But there's a problem. In front of each of us is a wide road. And every day we're invited to waste our life on things that will not matter when it's done. Yeah. And the sad truth is this. Most walk 
into the grave void of purpose. But my bet is that you're different, right? You're here this morning in part because you're committed to living a life that matters. And I'm here this morning to spur you on. I want to encourage you. I want to add value to you. So if you're a note taker, get your pen and your pad or, or your device if you take notes on that. Because I want to spur you on by offering two truths in a life-giving talk we'll call dying for purpose. Now, I know we're in the South, and, 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 and I came from Southern parents. My, my mom, she is a hospitable woman at heart, and, and they, they, they've taught us, right, to be kind, to, to be gracious, to be hospitable, especially to strangers when you've met people, right, for the first time, right? And, and so as I was thinking about this morning, and I was thinking about the message God put on my heart, and I was thinking about the first truth, I realized something. The first truth, it kind of smacks hard, right? It could be even a little bit offensive. And so I had a dilemma. I can't disobey my mama, right? <laughs> and yet at the same time, if I share this first truth and you get offended and you, and you, and you don't listen to the rest of the message, you're going to miss the, the good news, the good stuff. And so I decided to make a deal with you. So if you plan on tuning me out or just checking out, I get it. But go ahead and just check out right now, Okay. Because if you hear the first truth, you got to hang on to the second truth. you got to stay with me. Deal? Yeah. All right, here we go. So first truth, first principle is simply this. Death precedes purpose. My plan for my life, your plan for your life, produces death. In the Proverbs, he says it this way. He says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Jesus, when he taught in the New Testament, he was a master storyteller. And he would use illustrations and, and imagery to help difficult truths from heaven land here on earth. And because he lived in an agricultural society, he would often draw from the farm and Jesus, speaking in part to this very thought, pulled his disciples and John 12 together and, and listened to his words. He says this, he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, if a seed doesn't die, it withers, it fades, it ends its existence unfulfilled, alone, a pitiful end, right? But God designed it for life-giving purpose. But there's this counterintuitive reality that's real in our lives, real in Scripture, and on display in this very text. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I think most of us grab and grab hold of the basic premises, right? I mean, the farmer digs a hole in the ground, takes the seed, plants it, and then he covers that seed, and then the seed has to go through a dying process. And if it does, it germinates. And if it does, then life goes on. It, it turns into something beautiful. 
So what's his point? What's, what's the message? What's the underlying thought? To live beyond itself, the seed must die to self. And so it is with man. So it is with woman. So it is with every human being. You see, a life dedicated to self ends with self. And yet culture says, do you. And I was all about me. My gain. My glory. If you were to have asked me, uh, Micah, what are your goals for your life? I could have summed it up in two words. Assets and accolades. Right? I wanted the gold. I wanted the coin. Right? I, I wanted to live for the American dream. Pad that account. Me, me, me. But I wanted the fame. wanted the glory. And in my mind, ball was my ticket. I grew up in an athletic family. I pitched and played shortstop. Played quarterback and free safety. Played point guard. My father was an athletic director, head football coach. Played in college. All my brothers and sisters played in college. Did I mention to y'all that I, I like me some ball? How many athletes in the house this morning? Actually, pardon me. How many former athletes in the house this morning? <laughs> we, we got some Gamecocks in this country, right? Man, I wanted to be a light-skinned Deion Sanders. I'm just going to shoot you straight, right? Prime time plus one. I want to go big time. And what happened for me was in time, this, this passion for a game became idolatry. And my father, he could see it happen. And after a practice, he came up to me and he said, son... Life isn't about a game. God has made you on purpose, for a purpose. And success is selling out to God's plan for your life. Good advice. But it offended me. It crystallized an internal tension. I had a plan for my life. I wouldn't have said it this way at the time, but it was true. I wanted Jesus to be Savior and Micah be Lord. So about 2 a.m. before a big football game, I'm wrestling with God. And I finally stood up in my room and I said, God, this is my life. Leave me alone. Not too long after that, I went down to do something we had picked up when we were young. We loved some surfing. How many of y'all love that old board? How many of y'all ride those waves? Okay, I know we aren't coastal right now, but you got some coasts, right? Man, I loved riding those waves. And and we picked up surfing when we lived out in California, down at Imperial Beach. But our family had moved, and we moved to Florida. And I don't know if you all know this, but there's this giant placid lake. It's like a big pond, right? It's the Gulf of Mexico. Y y have you ever? Anybody? Okay. Well, the only time you can ride waves is when the hurricanes kick up surf. And so the storms had formed. We thought it would be smart. We went down, my brother and I, always competitive. And we're racing, and there was huge beach break. And I got my clothes off, and I went running down that beach, and, and it was just crashing right on the sand. And, and I could see this big swell that it, it had reformed, and, and I timed it. And, and as I'm coming down the water, I, I see it pick up. And at the last minute, running full tilt, I throw my body into it. I dive in, and I hit that wave, and something happened. It was like a shock raced through my body. Instinctively, I knew to lay still. But the momentum of my dive carried me through the water. And I remember like being groggy, like something's off. And the next wave, it rolled me over. And I could see the surface. I could see the air. But when I tried to get up, my body wouldn't work. Panic began to course through my veins. My lungs, they're screaming. I can see the surface. 
I can't get oxygen. In a last-ditch effort, I put my lips together. But instead of air, I caught water, and I passed out. Now, my brother had seen me dive in. He doesn't think anything's wrong. He goes back to get the football. He's waiting to play some catch. And after a few moments pass, he actually walks up to the very place I dove in. Nothing. He thinks maybe I'm playing a joke, so he actually leaves and begins to look in the bushes. And every moment that passes, I'm drowning. My parents, they had dropped us off, parked the car. They actually make their way down and they enter this this frantic scene. And then a mother's worst nightmare. My mom, she hit the beach and began to scream at the top of her lungs, God, 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 don't take my son. Five to seven minutes had passed. A stranger stood 150 yards down the beach in a slack pool of water and he was lifting a hand on a body. My, brother, my, my father ran down the beach, pulled me out of the surf, no heartbeat, no pulse, flatlined, blue, I was dead. My brother got up, ran to my mom, picked her up, went to the nearest house, 911, EMT, helicopter. I don't remember much of the first week, but I remember choking on something and gagging too tubes in my nose, in my throat. That's when I realized I had died. That's when I realized my dreams were shattered. But that's how I came alive to my deep need for purpose. You see, the truth of the matter is, is my lust for my life, my way, it needed to die. And God knew that long before I did. And he was not unclear with his disciples when he spoke a message that rings true for you and I in this room today. And Matthew, he said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You see, for For every follower of Christ, there's a cleanse my heart, O God. There's a search me, O God, question we must continually ask. And it goes something like this. God, what in my life needs to die? And I encourage you this morning, I submit to you this morning, that there's only one posture that makes sense before the sovereign, almighty God of the universe the one who spoke and galaxies were formed, the one who owns it all, the one who sent his son to die for you and I. I submit to you there's only one posture that makes sense. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it begins with a laying down. It begins with surrender. A death must come first. And I want to encourage you at this point with a simple truth. Let life's author write your script. 
You see, when we lay our plan down and we begin to pick his desires up, that's when it begins to get good. Because death precedes purpose. But when we die to ourselves and begin to grab hold of him and his plan, then something beautiful happens. Abundant living begins to be a reality. Because while death precedes purpose, purpose produces something. Purpose produces life. Life was designed to be lived full of purpose, and purpose itself generates life. And this is a reality that is, that is all through Scripture. And, and some of you today, uh, you, can, you can testify to knowing what it was like to live void of purpose and to see the very person of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God come alive in you. And all of a sudden you have reason to get up in the morning. I'm telling you, purpose gives you claim to oxygen. Purpose is the reason you have breath in your lungs. Purpose is the reason you're not in your eternal home yet because purpose produces life and life is to be lived on purpose. Did you know that you were designed and that your design came with intent? The very purpose of God was webbed and folded into your very being. David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And in Ephesians, he talks about this correlation. Look what he says with me. He says, for we are God's masterpiece, right? God knit together. You're his Mona Lisa. He, he crafted you on purpose, right? But then make the connect. He says he created us anew in Christ Jesus. So the second creation, he created you in the womb. You're recreated in Christ when you come to the knowledge of him, born again. But then look what he does. What's all this intent? What's all this design for? He says, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And if we, if we think about the dying in the context of living, then the gospel itself makes sense. And if we think about it through that perspective and then we go back to John 12, we see where he was going with all the dying all along. Let's look back at the text. Yes, the kernel of wheat must fall to the ground and die. But look what he says in the back half. But its death will what? Produce. Many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of what? Life. Purpose produces life. You see, we exchange our plans which lead to death for his purpose which produces life. But here's the question. Do you believe that his purpose is better than your plan? Healthy Spouse Club, Healthy Spouse Club. How many of y'all married a healthy spouse now? Now I'm going to tell you in advance, there's no elbowing and no eye cutting. But how many of y'all happen to marry a healthy spouse? Healthy spouse, you're in that club with me, okay? Okay, so, so I came into a marriage like on a steady diet of like Mountain Dew and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, right? Man, I could, I could down them dues, you know what I'm saying? Now my bride, on the other hand, I mean, I love my sweetheart, right? But she came right out of the woods. The pine nuts and tree barks, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, she, like healthy, healthy, healthy. And so, so uh, we were married for uh, roughly 10 years before we had our first. And I'll bet you can guess what the kid's diet consisted of. Kale and seaweed. Yeah, come on. 
And so early on in, the, in, the, in our marriage and early on with our kids, our kids were enjoying that goodness. Actually, I got a picture of my family. Y'all want to see my family? Meet them up for a minute. Okay, you've got them on the screen. My bride, Audrey, my absolute best friend, loved that girl to death. I outpunted my coverage, I know. Got a little baby girl given Gracia, our grace gift. She's four years old. And then, and then we had a little peace arrow, arrow Amani. Arrow is our little blonde bombshell there. And so speaking of my family, the food plan and the whole deal, like one day, you know, I, I was like, you know, I'm the man of the house. Like I should have some say in the food plan, <laughs> right? Yeah, wrong. I don't know what came over me. But on that particular day, you know, I was like, you know, I, I, got, I, I got some confidence, right? I'm going to sew into the food plan. And so, so, so I, I see little Arrow, and he's in the kitchen. In our kitchen, you know, we've got this little wood table and a little bench here, a little bench here, and this little doorway, and, and Mommy's got a little office in there. And so I see little Arrow, and he's sitting there on that bench, and he's eating kale and seaweed, you know. <laughs> And I was like, man, i got to introduce this boy to something good, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of walking with confidence in there, and I, I see Arrow there. And, I mean, I wasn't worried about whether or not anybody else would see anything, right? But I'm, I'm walking in there, and then with boldness, right, because I'm, 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 I'm confident in this one, boldness in my, in my voice, I, I looked at Arrow. And with boldness, I said, shh, daddy's got something for you. It's called a Twinkie. <laughs> and he said no. <laughs> Stuck on his plan, he missed daddy's good purpose. <laughs> Which reminds us, how often do we settle for familiar and miss God's best? You see, exchanging your dream for his purpose is not sacrifice. It's smart because purpose produces life. Purpose produces life. If we think about our faith heroes, we see this connection. They lived their Sunday and their Monday connected. Perfect human beings? No. But we see Noah, construction for God, builds an ark, rescues humanity. We see Esther, civic leadership, underneath the lordship of her king, saving the people of Israel. We look into the New Testament and we, we see men and women making the connect. Look no further than Paul. I mean, look at his words in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for purpose. Finishing the work assigned me by the Lord. We see Paul speaking the same concept, connecting the two dots in reverse order. Look at his words in Romans. He goes on to say, give yourselves completely to God. Right? Paraphrase, all in on your purpose. Why, you ask? Why, Paul? For you were dead. There is a path, but now you have new life, life, purpose, purpose, life. See, here's the reality. Christ's death saves our souls, but it's God's purpose that fuels our lives. And for me, I had to die to come alive to God's purpose for me. And the reality is, 
is that he began, once there was a death and once there was a surrender, to open my eyes to the very things that were always before me. I was looking and not seeing. I was hearing and not listening. His word was not unclear. And I began to see in God's word his heart for the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and then calls the found to join him on mission. He says, go be about that with me. Go make disciples. Do it until I return. Do it in all nations. My spirit has empowered you in this. God began to open my eyes to the lost. But I also began to see God's heart for the poor. Did you know that in the word of God, there's over 2,000 times he calls his people to care for the poor? I was missing it. I was ignoring it. But I tell people, if you survive dying, it changes how you live. And with my attention having been grabbed, he radically opened it. And I'll never forget when, when fuel was poured onto that fire. I was working on a master's in counseling, working in an inner city context in urban poverty. And I was learning about cross-cultural issues, uh, anthropology, cross-cultural studies. And I began to learn about people in our world trying to survive on less than $1.90 a day. It's called extreme poverty. Imagine that with me. Actually, let's do this together. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? Just close your eyes. What would life look like if you were surviving on $1.90 a day? What would make the budget? What would be in the fridge? What would your street look like? Okay, open your eyes. Welcome to the slum. My first experience was in a community. Over 300,000 precious men and women, boys and girls, Created in the image of God, no less important to him than my son is. And for a month, poverty became personal. It got under my skin. I stayed with people in their homes in the community. I went to a lady's house named Velma, her entire home, maybe 12 by 14, dirt floor, all their earthly belongings. And she looks at me across that room and she says, Micah, 12 people sleep here each night. And I looked back and I said, Velma, how is that possible? I'll never forget, she pointed to this bed in the corner of the room, soiled, dirty, and she said, my husband and I, we sleep here, and one child we lay to the right, one child we lay to the left, one child lays across our feet. She pointed to this rickety table across the floor, and she said, we lay three kids across this wood table each night. She pointed to a makeshift bench along the tin siding and she said, the rest sleep arms crossed, leaning up against the tin underneath the porous roof and we rotate because the bed is the best night's sleep. And I walked out of her, her home and I knew at that point I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to do something about it or the rest of my life trying to forget it. And wrestling that tension, begin to ask God, what do you want me to do? And so I dropped out of grad school, moved into my car, and over an eight-month period, lived homeless. And during that time, God granted us a nonprofit. We assembled a board, and the vision of vapor materialized. Now, you can actually see the vision playing out on the screen. The idea was, is what if we moved back into the community, 
came alongside amazing indigenous people and built out a center, a place where relevant disciple-making could happen. But it would also be a hub of hope where poverty could be alleviated. We could care for the physical needs of people. A place where locals would be empowered and raised up. Their God-given potential realized where we together could walk in purpose and radiate church. You've been a part of that story. Your giving has been going. We've extended your arms. And as I stand here, hundreds of thousands of people are being served there. Children, youth, and adults are coming by the thousands to do what they love. But while they're there, they hear about the one that loves them. Indigenous people who speak the language, drink the water, and understand the culture are transforming their communities. But we're making sure on your behalf that food, water, education, and health services are transforming lives for tomorrow. And by the grace of God, through the small business projects, we're able to employ more, empower more. The impact that is happening, the life-giving impact that is happening is amazing. In East Africa, West Africa, and Haiti, right now, you staying on purpose is giving life, and the impact is truly breathtaking. Because this is what God does. Because purpose produces life. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to speak breath and life into your lungs this morning. Radiate. You're making a difference that is bigger than you can possibly comprehend. But I also want to bring this right to you, to your home, to to your lap this morning. And from a deep place in my spirit, I say to you, life, it's a vapor. And it's too short to live disconnected from purpose. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on things that will not matter when it's done. I invite you, I encourage you, live a life that outlives this life. You see, at the end of the day, God invites each and every one of us to come alive to the very thing we're all dying for, purpose. And I recognize that coming into this room this morning, we're all coming from different places. But at the end of the day, there's two groups here. And the first You're followers of Jesus. You've been born again. You you know God. And my word of encouragement is simply this. You have one life. It's a vapor. So run hard and stay the course. Well done rests on the backside of the purpose-filled path. But my bet is that tuning in online or in Florence, or here in the room, that there's another group here. You're kicking the tires on this church thing. Maybe you were wounded in the past. You're just coming back. Uh, Maybe Jesus and this idea of being born again and all in with him, maybe it's all new and maybe it's a little bit overwhelming. And so I I first just want to say to you on behalf of, of your pastors here, Brandon, Megan, the entire team, we're so glad you're here. You are welcome. 
This house was built with you in mind. You're in a safe place. Thank you for coming. But I also submit to you this morning, you're at a crossroads. There's a path before you. And at the trailhead of that path stands a cross. And the one who hung, who bled, who died, he did so on purpose. He did so for a purpose. For you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this morning, I offer you Jesus. His arms are extended to you. Run to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In the safety of this room, I'm going to say a prayer over you. And I want to invite you to give your life to Christ today. And there's no magic words. And there's, there's no thing that ultimately makes that happen except for a life yielded to God. But as I pray, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I would love to know who I'm praying with. So if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, will you just slide your hand up? Just hold it up. Yes, sir. Anyone else? If today's the day you're ready to cross the line, give your life to Jesus, just hold it up there. Hold it up bold, nice and high. Yes, anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, let me offer some words. Let's pray together. God, I need you. I confess my sin before you. I believe you died and rose again. And I declare I trust in you. I turn from my path. And today I choose to follow you. I make you the Savior and Lord of my life. Hey, faith family, the Bible says when one turns, that the heavens rejoice. So praise God with me for those who've trusted Christ. And I want to encourage you, we were not created to do it alone. And you have a faith family, a house here at Radiate that wants to walk with you. So get connected to the house. Hey, thank you all so much for your time and attention. There's a resource you see on the screen, a crazy stories. Uh, actually, it was stoned in Africa. I was stabbed by KKK members. It's a wild journey. Principles on display in the text that will benefit your life or in the, in the book. I don't get anything from it. And so it's a, it's a, uh, the proceeds go to the ministry. And there's also small group curriculum that is actually free and it's online. So I want to just offer that to you. And also, you are already connected to the house. Your giving's going. But if you want to get updates uh, and stay connected, we, we, we put out you know, encouraging posts, things like that. You can follow us on our social channels. Hey, let me pray, pray over you. God, we love you. God, we honor you. No one like you. No one like you. You are our king. You are our Lord. You are God. We praise you. We magnify you. We lift you up. Help us live on purpose, for a purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.